Happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. I hope you're excited to have this extended weekend. Do you know the history of Labor Day? Believe it or not, it goes way back. It was instituted back in 1894. That makes this weekend the 127th time that, that we as a nation have celebrated Labor Day weekend. It was instituted back by President Grover Cleveland when he and others determined, you know, America is, is made by the hard work of the laborers. People work hard and they deserve an extra day off. And so it was decided that on the Monday, the first Monday of September, a national holiday and a day off for people who deserve it was put into place. It's interesting, they picked the first Monday of September because it, it was kind of the midpoint, rough midpoint between 4th of July, where we get a day off for Independence Day, and Thanksgiving, which was the next national holiday, at least at that point. And so they said Labor Day. Interestingly, when it was originally brought into play, not only was Monday, Labor Day, a day off, the day before, that Sunday was called Labor Sunday. And it was the expectation that the churches throughout America, the pastors, would preach about work. In fact, the motto of Labor Sunday was dedicated to the spiritual aspects of labor. And you're thinking, spiritual aspects of labor? Are there any? Most people think of like work as the Monday through Friday secular part of life, where the Sunday worship, that's the spiritual part of life. Oh, friends, that's so mistaken. There are huge theological uh, truths about labor. We're, we're going to study them together. Now, I know uh, some of you are like, work, check, I'm checking out, uh, I, don't, I don't work. Hold on, this applies to everybody, so let me pull you in. Students, you think you don't work? <laughs> Your job is study, and these days, many of you, most of you are studying from home in your PJs at a computer, which makes it harder to stay focused and motivated than ever. So listen up. You need to know about the importance of your work. I'm thinking of all of you who are unemployed, and man, does my heart break. For so many of you, we have more folks in our church these days dealing with unemployment due to this pandemic that has stripped many of their jobs. Your job is finding a job. You are a full-time, focused pursuer of work. And so God's called you to that job. Though you're not paid for it, that is your job. Speaking of not paid, I'm thinking of all of you stay-at-home parents. Do you work? Yeah, you work. Maybe the hardest job of any of us. You are full-time trying to manage this crazy household and disciple these children. It's a very important job. This message applies to your calling. Thinking of all of you retired people and friends, even in your retirement years, you are stewarding those hours saying, God, what would you have me do? How can I be a blessing to others? How can I serve others? How can I volunteer? How you devote those hours as God leads, that's your work. So this applies to all of us. Now, when we turn to the topic of work, one of the most famous biblical passages is a downer. It is Genesis 3, verse 17. Let me read it. 
This is part of the curse that came about through Adam and Eve's rebellion, through the fall of humanity. God announced, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. This work of farming will produce food. You know, you'll get the pay, but it is painful toil. And uh, the church said, amen to that. You know, the number one sentiment regarding work is that it's a pain in the neck. I can't wait till I can retire and be done with this dumb job. You know, I remember going into a coffee shop recently asking the cashier, how you doing? And she said, I'll tell you, in 58 minutes, I get out of here. You know, it's like she's being tortured and it's going to end soon. You know, that's the sentiment. Uh, is that right? Is work a curse? You know, it's interesting. One of the people that has spoken to me on this is my great-grandfather, Ingvald Hansen. I actually never met him. He died right before I was born, but I've heard stories of him, and I've got this picture of Ingvald Hansen. It's a great picture of my great-grandfather dating back to the 60s. Maybe you can tell from it. Uh, he back then was a parking lot attendant employed by a bank. He would help the uh, customers of the bank find a good parking place. He would open their door for them. If it was raining, he would escort them in with an umbrella. He greeted them with a smile. Now, this wasn't his career. His career was carpentry. He did cabinetry work. He finished kitchens. But when he found his body preventing him from carrying on that carpentry career, he, he retired. He was in a decent place financially, ready for retirement. But he found himself antsy in retirement. He discovered that ah, there was a hole in his heart, and he started searching around for some work he could do. And one of his buddies owned a bank, and his buddy said, well, I can't pay you much, but if you want to be a parking lot attendant... He said, sign me up. And apparently he did this for years and he loved it, didn't care what he was paid. Friends, when I look at Ingvald Hansen, my great-grandfather, this picture and his story speaks to me of the dignity of human labor, about the beauty of human labor, about the satisfaction that God intended us to find. You say, what do you mean God intended? Didn't we just read, work is a curse? You know, it was back when we fell. It was God saying, all right, you sinned, so now you got to work. No, no, no. Yes, we read in chapter 3 of Genesis where there was brokenness in labor that resulted from man's rebellion. But work did not originate in chapter 3 of Genesis where the fall takes place. Work was introduced back in chapter 2 before mankind sinned, before the fall, the curse ever entered our reality. Well, let me show you. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. Friends, at the very beginning, God said, Adam, welcome to life, and here's your job. Work the garden. He was a farmer, a gardener. He cultivated the land. Not only was there a physical task brought to him, the cultivating the garden, 
there was also an intellectual or a scientific task assigned to him. Let me read Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. God brought them, this is the animals he's just created. God brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. You know, I was a biology major and scientists call this nomenclature, the, the study of creatures. You know, you analyze and discover certain interesting traits about created things. And then you pick the appropriate scientific name for them. Adam was a scientist analyzing and choosing names. This is the educational, intellectual, scientific side of his calling. So, yes, work was a big part of Adam's new life. And it was a beautiful thing. Friends, here before the fall enters, God says, this is part of my good, very good planet. When God made the world, he sat back and he says, oh, it's very good. And work was part of what he called very good. In fact, in heaven, we will have work. Some of you are like, wait a minute. I thought heaven was an eternal retirement, an eternal vacation. Yes, there will be joyful recreation in heaven. But we also discover meaningful responsibilities that fill our day with engagement in activities that stretch us and satisfy us. Work was meant to be a blessing. So let's try to find out why and how work can be this blessing. I'm looking here at verse 2 of Genesis 2. This talks a lot about God and work. It says, God finished the work he had been doing. That's a reference to him creating the world in, in six days. So on the seventh day, he, God, rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating. Friends, three times in this description of God it talks about God engaged in work about God on the seventh day saying now I'm going to rest you say was God tired no God has limitless energy so he was not tired we're tired we follow his example in taking the seventh day off for recuperation but for God it was more like wanting to just sit back and look and celebrate what he had made for God to say yes this is beautiful. I am proud and delighting. I'm satisfying in the accomplishment of my labor. Do you, do you resonate with that? You're supposed to. We are made in the image of God. In fact, that's one of the earliest discoveries we have in the creation narrative, that God made us in many ways like him. And one of the ways that God made us is that we were made to create we find joy in creating. All work is creating, like God created the world. You say, my job's not like creating. All right, you got to think about it a little bit. You have to get creative and look at your labor and say, Lord, help me see what I'm creating. Like, like Ingvald Hansen, what would my 
great-grandfather create? Well, it was obvious back when he was a carpenter, he was making beautiful kitchens for people. The creation there, similar to God in obvious ways. But what about here when he was a parking lot attendant? There's no creation involved here. Oh, there was. He was creating culture at that bank. As people arrived and as he smiled at them and loved on them, celebrated them, he was creating culture. Uh, He was creating safety so people didn't get run over by a car in a congested lot. He was creating protection as he held the umbrella over them. He loved on people. He created their feeling of appreciation as he opened the door and treated them Every job has created, you're creating something. Is it education? Is it order? Is it stability? Look at what you're creating and lean into it and find satisfaction in it as God did. One of the ways we should look at work is it's for us. Just as God found joy in work, so we create and find satisfaction in it. Friends, we are supposed to be tired at the end of a good work day. Look back and say, I worked hard. I created something of meaning. And work blesses our soul. Our soul comes alive when we work. I'll just add another thing for us. Not only uh, do we find satisfaction, we find growth. Some of our best character growth is seen in the challenge of work, the problems of work, perseverance. And labor. So just as God found satisfaction in work, the first thing I want to point out is that work is for us. We too find blessing in it. Here's second. It's also for them, the world. We bless the world through our labor. Let me show you another passage. Genesis 2, verse 5. There was, this is before God had made Adam and Eve, there was no one to work the ground. An interesting statement. God looks at what he's made. He delights in creation as very good, but he points to something missing. He said, there's no one to work the ground. What does that tell us? God made this world some assembly required. <laughs> you know, when you buy something, Ikea, come on, some assembly required. It's not fully done. There's more work to be done to perfect the object of purchase. And so it is with this world God has made. He said, it's beautiful, but there's a problem. Before he made humanity, God said, there's no one to work the ground. The ground needs to be worked. I've created plants and I've created uh, fruit and I've made it so that with a little labor invested, then and only then will this world flourish as I intended. God could have made a world that was all buttoned up where plants grow in rows and no work was required. But God said, I'm not going to do that. For this world to achieve its perfection that I intend, it's going to require human labor. And so friends, God wants to get this world beautiful, maximized. And you're needed to make it so. Your job makes this world a better place and blesses the people of the world as a result. Do you recognize some, uh, some work 
some assembly required? Let me give you an example. John Calvig is uh, the campus pastor of our South Naperville campus, where I happen to be presently. And John recently purchased a swing set, a playground set for his kids. Uh, this swing set is amazing. And, and yet the journey to the enjoyment of this swing set is, is a complex one. John bought it from Sam's Club. And wouldn't you know, they pulled up to his driveway and dumped a thousand pieces on his driveway. John stood scratching his head, looking at more boards and more parts and more hardware than he had ever seen in his life. Now, here's the problem. Uh, John's a fantastic pastor, but there's a reason God didn't call him to be a carpenter. He doesn't know which end of the hammer to use. And so John was in a real dilemma. Though not a good carpenter, he does have a gift at recruiting volunteers. And so wouldn't you know, couple of his friends from our campus down at South Naperville, they came to his aid and those guys worked hard for days to build that beautiful playset that John's kids are having a blast enjoying. Similarly, your job is creating, it's making this world a better place for people. It's for them. And if you can see those who enjoy the end product of your labor, who, are, who live a better life as a result, it can help you see God's sacred intent with labor. I, I think of Ingvald Anson. Uh, he looked at those bank customers and he saw the joy as he smiled at them. He, he saw the honor he bestowed upon them as he opened the door. He, he, he blessed those people. He loved those people. And the people he was serving motivated him. So we do work for us. We do work for them. One more. We do work for him, for God. Let me, let me show you another verse. Oh, actually, let's go back to verse 15. The verse we already read, but I want to dive in a little deeper. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Do you see that God is calling Adam to this job? Do you see that God is instructing Adam? This is the will of God. And as Adam works, he's carrying out God's will. He's obeying God's command. Have you ever thought of your work as obedience to the Lord? Why do we do it? You say, to make money, you know. I owe, I owe. It's off to work I go. No, no. It's more than that. God has called you. You're doing it for him. Out of obedience for him. As you go to work uh, this week, think of that. Say, Lord, I'm not doing this for my family primarily. I'm not doing this for me primarily. My first reason is you've asked me to. I do it for you. Not only is, is work obedience to God, I would argue it's worship to God. Something really interesting. In that verse, verse 15, where it says that God put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. The word translated work there, and actually throughout Genesis, is the word avodah. Avodah is an interesting Hebrew term. It can be translated work or worship. 
And it's real curious, you know, sometimes depending on the context, the translators will make it work. Other times, worship. As it turns out, God sees the two concepts very tightly intertwined. This work so fits our divine calling that when we do it, it's really worship to him. Back when, it's real interesting, when the, the slaves in Egypt were working their tails off, making bricks as slaves. Avodah was the word used to describe their labor. That same group of slaves, when uh, in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord says to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. The word translated worship, avodah. Friends, our work is, in fact, worshiping God. We need to see this because if we don't, we can assume we only worship God when we're singing songs around church, online church, in-person church. If that's all the worship we give, that's not much. Worship, yes, it can be expressed in song. But worship is whenever we obey and lean into life as God intended. And so work is worship. When we give ourselves to our job, the Lord is receiving that as us glorifying him, particularly if our heart is offering it to him mindfully, intentionally. And so, friends, I would challenge you to don't worship God with a token expression on Sundays. Worship God with all your life. Make your whole day, every day, 24-7 uh, worshiper. That's the goal. And God's heart will just burst as you express your adoration to him through the worship of work. You know, there's a passage in the Gospels that comes to mind. It surrounds an alabaster jar. There was a woman, her name was Mary, Mary and Martha, remember them? Yeah, well, this Mary loved Jesus so much. And there was a moment towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry that will forever be remembered. Alabaster, a very precious material, a jar filled with perfume. And this perfume that Mary owned was very expensive. She had probably worked months, maybe years, to get this precious perfume. And in a moment that shocked everyone who was there, she walked up to Jesus and she took this nearly priceless perfume, poured it on his head, poured it on his feet, and then took this alabaster jar and smashed it on the ground into pieces. People were going, what are you doing? Jesus understood. Jesus wanted to express to those people that that was love of the finest sort. This alabaster jar of perfume, it symbolized all of her hard work. It symbolized her life, her possessions. And she was saying, in a sense, I pour out all I am to you, Jesus Christ, because I love you above all else. Friends, after I close in prayer here, we're going to sing a song called Alabaster Heart. And it's all about our whole lives, work included, being a gift of love to the Lord as we live for him. And always, it's all worship. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this passage, for the theology of labor found in Genesis. 
Lord, we all need to tweak or maybe transform our view of labor. Forgive us for viewing it as punishment and help us to lean into it. Help us to find the satisfaction you find in it. Help us to see the love of blessing others. And God, help us to worship you as we work in obedience to your command. Thank you, God. Make us enthusiastic workers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.